Thanks, Ian, for sharing. Uh, it's amazing. You're a junior now. Yeah? So do you feel like there are there's some wisdom that you've learned from the last three years that you wish you could share with your freshman self? Absolutely. Yeah. Isn't it incredible that with time we gain wisdom? Isn't that incredible? And with time, just last year, hearing how his sophomore year went, experiencing God's presence, being baptized, to be obedient to God, and to celebrate that with people, that time can be transformative with God, right? I want to tell you something that might blow your minds. I told this to the student leaders yesterday. Today is... October 25th. Mind-blowing, right? I know, it's crazy. Wait, you've only been here this semester for two months. Isn't that wild? Some of you have only been at JMU for only two months. <laughs> I have no idea what Paul said, but it seems like it was funny. <laughs> I just assume it's funny because usually he laughs after. <laughs> two months. For some of you, it's only been two months since you lived at home full time. For some of you, high school was just several months ago. Like, what is this life? What is time? And probably, like Ian, some of you wish you knew then what you knew now. I just want you to travel back to high school with me. <laughs> Think about, <laughs> come on, just for fun. Think about you in high school. Maybe it was six months ago, maybe it was three years ago. Think about you in high school, okay? Think about the things that you did with your time. Think about the things you were so worried about. Think about, think about how much wisdom you have gained and what it's like looking back because our perspective has changed, right? And when our perspective changes, we can sometimes see wisdom. What's an area, you can just call it out, that you're grateful for that you have more wisdom in now than high school? Communication, communicating. You actually have to do that with people to have relationships, like friendships and stuff. Isn't that weird? Communicating. Yeah. What else? Studying. Studying. Yeah. You like have to figure out how to do that on your own. Nobody's keeping tabs on you as much, right? Time management. Time management. Yes. If you have figured that out. Can you let everyone else know? <laughs> Everyone's going to see you after, after service tonight. Time management, that is a great one. Where are you investing your time? What have you thought about it like that? Hmm. For me, one area, um, whoops, Rachel just sent me something in Slack, and I accidentally touched it. Okay, there we go. Back to the notes. For me, one area that I'm really thankful that I have grown in wisdom is driving. <laughs> you guys are laughing because you're like, me too. Oh my goodness, you remember the first time that you ever drove? And you're like, 
you have to like be so intentional about everything and now you drive places and you're like how the heck did I get here <laughs> like what happened on the way that's dangerous please don't do that when you're on Westview Street please watch out for my kids who don't watch out for cars yet we're not like totally city people yet uh, but when I was 17 19 years ago when I was 17 that's crazy I did not have great wisdom and one day I was driving to church. I was running a little late, which is very rare for me still. And I was going, who laughed? I was going around a curve in like a mile from my house. I knew where I was, I knew this road, like the back of my hand. I had to drive 30 minutes to get to town. And so like I was a pretty good driver then. Well, I thought so. So I'm driving, I'm going around a turn. I was also putting my makeup on because I was running late and multitasking over here. So I'm putting my makeup on. I'm like going around a turn. My my compact at the time fell in the floorboard of the passenger seat. I did not have a passenger, and so I had to get it myself, of course, while I was driving. That was the obvious wise choice at the moment. Whew, perspective, right? And girl, what are you doing? So I lean over to get the compact. I'm going around a turn. I just take my eyes off the road for just a second, right? Just a second. I'm going around a turn, and when I look back up, I'm in the other lane. Yeah, and also, there's a car right there. And so I quickly swerve to my lane, but then I think, wait, I don't want to overcorrect and end up in that ditch over there. So what I did was overcorrect the other way. Oh, yes. yes. And then I flew off the side of the road because there's a huge ditch. Um, when I land, my foot slips, imagine this, from the brake to the gas pedal. I bust through a fence, a wooden fence that is holding in these poor horses over there, which I did not hit. Praise the lamb. And finally, I stop when a tree hits me. <laughs> Came out of nowhere, you guys. Uh, man, I wish I had more wisdom. So I uh, got a concussion, broke my nose. So if you've ever noticed my crooked nose, broke my nose. Well, apparently it's cartilage, but anyway. I broke my nose um, because I also wasn't wearing my seatbelt. Yeah. I know. You guys are so wise because you're older. Think of your 16-year-old selves, okay? 16, 17, whatever. So my head hit the steering wheel. When I landed on the ground, my head hit the steering wheel. Um, I literally, when I went through the fence, the a fence post, I have pictures, a big wooden fence post, like think of a horse, like where horses are, big horse fence post thing, came through the front window, my windshield, the middle of my windshield, went right next to me. I have scars still. I was looking for them yesterday, but it's been 20 years, where the nails from the fence post cut me on its way by. What are you thinking, Katie? So at this scene, I am telling everyone the story because I just had this traumatic event. And when you have a traumatic event, 
it helps to share that story, right, to process. So I'm telling everyone that stops to help. I'm apologizing to the couple that I almost hit on their way to church. He was a pastor. I was like, I am so sorry. I'm sorry to make you late. I'm sorry that I, like, it could have been really bad. I'm apologizing to everyone. I'm apologizing to the EMTs and the firemen. And then I see my mom go by with my little brother, and then I see her, like, kind of look, like, because she's driving past me. You know, you always look to see what's going on when there's, like, emergency vehicles. And so she's looking, and then I remember in my brain, she's like, that's Katie. <laughs> like, I, like, saw her see me. Oh, and I was like, I'm sorry, Mom. I had just gotten that car, new to me. Oh, it was a Honda Accord. It was beautiful. It was still, like, a boxy one, though, because it was, like, you know, 2002 or something. Uh, so... Man, I'm like telling everyone my story there. And then the police officer ends up meeting me at the hospital, which was kind <clears throat> to give me a moment. Didn't think about the fact that I would be held accountable for my actions, <laughs> right? So I'm in the hospital. They took me um, to UVA hospital because uh, I had, you know, hit the steering with my head and was, there was blood everywhere. Sorry if some of you are blood averse. Um, so I'm at the hospital. He comes in. He's like, well, I'm going to have to write you a, a ticket. And the ticket, God bless him, that he wrote me was a failure to maintain control. Right? It was like the nicest ticket he could have given me. Well, I show up in court with my dad because I'm not an adult yet, so I still need parental supervision. And I should have had it in that moment, probably. I show up to court, and when we get to court, the officer has changed his mind because apparently he talked to the same people I was talking to at the scene. So he found out why I had the accident and found out that actually that was reckless driving, which you all knew from the beginning. You're all like, Katie, what? So he tells the judge, I am, you know, the offense is reckless driving. The judge agrees, as he should have, and I am sentenced to go to driving school, thankfully. I could have gone to jail. <laughs> Praise God that I did not. <laughs> I know, you guys are like, Katie spent time in jail. Okay, so, I could have. I probably should have, honestly. Okay, so... That was also the kindest penalty they could give me in the law. So I am sentenced to driving school, which my dad also has to attend with me because, again, I am not, I'm still a minor. My ticket costs more because it's reckless driving, not failure to maintain control. And there are all of these, all of these changes and it was costlier than we imagined. My dad is not happy that they changed the offense, right, what they were saying that I did, but I'm like, Dad, this is justice, right? Like, I was driving recklessly, and then I told everyone that I was driving <laughs> recklessly. So, no, this is right. This is judge. This is right and, and justice. Um, so I did not debate the judge at my hearing, right? I knew I was guilty. I knew I was guilty of that offense. The offense and the decision of the justice uh, of the judge were correct. My dad wasn't happy, but I think it's because it was me. Because would my dad have been happy if we had been the other car 
that almost got hit, would he have said that was justice if it wasn't his daughter? Probably, right? Sometimes it's hard to see what's just when it's us or when it costs us, right? But the justice of God in scripture is also sometimes hard to understand when it comes to us or those (laughs) that we love. Sometimes we have questions. Is the God of the New Testament the same God as the God of the Old Testament? Can they be the same? Because in the Old Testament, we see so much justice. And in the New Testament, we see so much love. Can this be the same God? I want you to fill in a blank. The justice of God is blank. You can fill that in on your notes. The justice of God is what? Think about it. Think about it for a moment. Write it down if you're taking notes. The justice of God is what? What do you think about the justice of God? Is God just? And if so, what does that mean? We're going to turn to a text in Genesis. Surprise, we've been in Genesis the whole semester. Next week we won't be. I'm sorry. I know. Sean is preaching out of the text, but it's okay. So we're going to be in Genesis tonight, and we're going to see what Abraham, this man that we met last week, right? We talked about his life. Kelly, our guest speaker, talked about the life of Abraham. We meet this normal guy, Abraham. God has Um, this crazy ask. He says, Abraham, will you go? Will you move? Will you leave everything you've known? And will you be this leader of my people? I'm going to make you the father of nations. And I'm going to bring the redemptive plan, the good news, through your line. So Abraham is just a normal person that says yes to Jesus, to God. And we're going to see what Abraham thinks about the judgment of God specifically when it comes to someone he cares about, okay? So we have, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 18. You can turn there. We have been working through this series in Genesis, exploring the biblical narrative. We have seen God's original intent for the world in the Garden of Eden, where it was this place where everyone thrived, where there was peace, where there was harmony, where there was work, but the work was not toilsome, And then we see sin enters the picture and wrecks everything. Relationships are now difficult. We have to like communicate with each other in a whole new way. Um, Relationships are hard between people, between God, and we see that everything goes awry. But we know that God has a plan. We have seen in the beginning how God took chaos Tohu bohu, if you forgot what chaos, emptiness, how God brings order to that, and then how that chaos comes back after sin enters the picture. But we know that God has a plan to bring order and restoration once again. Sandra Richter, who is an author of this book called Epic of Eden, I highly recommend it. Hannah's reading it right now. Yeah? Um, you can borrow it after her. Um, So Sandra 
writes this book to help people better understand how to read the Old Testament. She talks about the context of the Old Testament, about the big picture ideas and the thread of grace throughout scripture. And she summarizes the first two um, covenants, the covenant that we've seen with Noah, and then the covenant that we've seen with Abraham in this way. She says that when with Noah, God reestablishes contact with people. Because remember, in the garden, sin enters, and the people are separated from God. So with Noah, God reestablishes contact with people. And then with Abraham, God chooses the people, it's going to be the descendants of Abraham, the place, it's going to be the land of Canaan, and the presence, God's own presence with them. This is all identified through Abraham, through the covenant that we learned about last week. And so we can see the story of redemption unfolding, this great rescue plan of God unfolding and moving forward. And so people were excluded from God because of sin. And that was just. Tonight, we're going to see in our text how God invites Abraham into a conversation about sin, about judgment, and about justice. So we're going to start reading in chapter 18, if you haven't um, gotten there. If you don't have a Bible, I would love for you to follow along with us. We have free Bibles, and Rachel is going to grab those. If you just want to slip up your hand, Rachel will bring you one. And I also recommend, if you haven't joined a core group yet, to join a core group because it is a great place to learn to study the Bible. So just keep your hand up, Rachel will get to you. Um, and so we're going to start in verse 17, okay? Before we get there, I want to tell you where we are because we jump into kind of the middle of a scene. So God has told Abraham, he said, I'm going to make your lineage into a great nation. I'm going to fulfill my plan through your people. It's going to be in this place. I'm going to give you this place. Abraham has seen God's power over and over to bring provision for Abraham. And when we pick up, Abraham is talking to these three visitors. We find out that two of them are angels, and one of them is God himself. That's pretty great, right? If three visitors showed up at my house, like I wouldn't be sad if it was two angels, messengers from God and God himself. Like That would be pretty cool. I'm trying to think like what I would make them. <laughs> be like, you want some tea? I have coffee, espresso, what do you drink? <laughs> I don't know. All right, so we're going to be in Genesis, which is the first chapter of the Bible. It should be right when you open the Bible, and we're going to go to chapter 18, verse 17. So Genesis 18, verse 17. So when we pick this up, um, these visitors have come, the messengers, who are angels, and God himself, and they have come to let Abraham know again, because he didn't quite believe him the first time, that his wife, who's very old, is going to have a baby. So they have just kind of finished their visit, okay? And they're kind of standing up, getting ready to go. I don't know how long that takes for you. It takes me a long time because I like people a lot. And so when I'm separating from people, I'm like, let me just walk you to your car, you know? So I don't know, maybe they're walking to the car, walking to the camel, donkey, whatever, I don't know. <laughs> so they are standing up, getting ready to go. And God is getting ready to walk down to this city called Sodom with the messengers. But then he does something incredible. God invites Abraham 
into a conversation about God's justice. So let's see how that happens. Verse 17. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? And he says this out loud, which I think is funny. You're like, Abraham's right there. He can hear you. So the Lord says, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely be a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him, Abraham, so that he will direct, direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. So God has appointed Abraham as a kind of priest to his lineage. God is a kind teacher. So he's like, since Abraham is going to be responsible for this, this nation, these nations that come after him, let me teach him about justice, right? Let me teach him my ways, how to keep the way of the Lord, how to help them see what is right and just. A priest in scripture would be kind of like a two-way traffic director. So a priest would bring the people's needs before God, to God. He would bring the people's needs to God. He would talk to God about the people. And then he would bring God's truths, God's words to the people. And the priest would care for the people. The priest would care for the people's needs. That's not just like, oh, I care about you, but like care, like practically meet people's needs. The orphans, the widows, the hungry, those in need, the they would have gone to the priest for help. And so we see that God in this case is just giving Abraham the ability to see how do you do that justly? How are you going to lead like I lead? And in this specific case, God is going to give Abraham the ability to see what God considers justice. Specifically for Abraham to see what's going to happen to a place when the people have chosen to go against the ways of God. To see what destruction comes when people make choices that don't honor God. Because Abraham is going to be the leader of nations, and God wants him to be prepared to deal severely with sin. Because of sin's impact on individuals, but also the entire community. The community of God is one that must be obedient to God in all things. And for Abraham, this is going to prove to be a big deal in his life. So this is a great internship for Abraham, right? God's like, come, spend some time with me. Let me show you how I do this. Like Emily's doing an internship right now with a, with a um, guidance counselor at a school, right? And so you're like walking with the guidance counselor, like seeing how they do things so that you can learn and do things, right? So this is Abraham's internship, um, to put it in college terms. And Abraham is going with God to learn about justice. And that sounds pretty great, right? That he's letting Abraham in on this. <coughs> But it's actually not so great also because this place, Sodom, that's in consideration is the place that Abraham's nephew and his family lives. And this is the nephew that is close to Abraham that came with him, um, that is family to him. And even though they have had disagreements, they are family. And in this culture, family is primary. 
So what will Abraham do when he finds out that God is about to deal severely with the town that his nephew lives in? We'll see. First, how does God even know what's happening, right? How does he know what's going on in this place? Verse 20, Genesis 18, verse 20. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great, and their sin is so grievous, that I, God, will go down and see what they have done to see if it is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. This word outcry in Hebrew is likened to the idea of a victim's cry, a victim's cry for help. What's happening in Sodom and Gomorrah is injustice. There are victims of terrible acts of violence, and when God hears, he is grieved by that. We see it earlier in the story of Abraham, just a couple of chapters before, of how God is grieved when there is injustice. There's a woman, Hagar, and she is sent away to the desert with her son, not because of anything she has done, but because of things that have been done to her. And she is sent away, cast aside. This injustice happens to her. And they're sitting there wondering, her and her son, what are we going to do? How are we going to survive? And we see that God comes and meets her. And she's the first person to name God in scripture. And she says, you are the God who sees me. God sees the individual. He sees the community. He sees those who are hurting. And God cares about people who are hurting. So this outcry from this city has permeated the city and then reached God. The people of this place have been committing grievous sins. There's grave injustice. It should be a callback to the story of Noah where there's just so much sin and turmoil. Nothing they were doing is good. God heard the outcry and so he goes to see himself firsthand before he makes judgment. What a concept. God isn't going to cast judgment without seeing what is real and true based on secondhand information he receives. But he's going to see firsthand. And this shows what Abraham already knew well and assumed about God. And that was that God always has the full and accurate information. God in his justice always has the full and accurate information. So we're gonna see what is happening and how is God gonna respond to this injustice. Verse 22, the men turned away, the messengers, the two angels, the men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. It was gracious of God to have this intimate one-on-one time with Abraham, and it allows Abraham to work out some things in his thoughts. 
He's before God, the, the maker of the universe, who has done the miraculous. Abraham has seen him give promises, keep, for, keep him um, with everything he needs. And Abraham stands there with God, looks at these cities, these places that there has been an outcry. And Abraham does something incredible. The men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Verse 23, then Abraham approached God and says, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? In verse 23, it says, Then Abraham approached God. It's this picture of a person approaching the bench in court, right? Saying, hey, I want to talk to the judge. I have something to say. And Abraham isn't asking God. He says, far be it from you. Like, are you really going to do this? You are just. He's not asking God if he's just. He's calling on the justness of God that he knows God is. He knows God is just. He's not asking if God is just. He is calling on the just God he knows to be true. And he is being bold to ask something pretty incredible. Because this is the case. In that day, it's hard for us in our culture of America, but in that day, community responsibility was understood. The responsibility of a community for the acts of a few doesn't really sound like American culture, right? <laughs> We're very much um, individual a culture, but in community cultures, it, it's very understood, and here it's very understood that the acts of some in that city, these grievous acts, would have been needed to be taken care of by the whole city. Like it would have been just of God to wipe out this whole city for the sin happening in it. But what is new is Abraham asking this. Abraham says, God, if there are 50 righteous people, only 50 in the entire city, would you spare the whole city? Would you forgive the sin of the many because of a righteous few? It's kind of wild. It's a new idea that we haven't seen yet in scripture. So then God says, yes, yes, for 50 righteous people, I will not destroy the city. <coughs> Far be it from you, for you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the unrighteous, treating the righteous and wicked alike. Far be it from you, will not the judge of all the earth do right? So then Abraham haggles with God even more. How many of you have ever been in a market haggling? Like maybe you've been in a place where that is allowed. Did you guys know that at Lowe's and Home Depot, tuck this away for wisdom for later, for the future, at Lowe's and Home Depot, you can haggle the prices on the clearance appliances. 
Yeah, because they just want them gone. So just tuck that little piece of wisdom away for the future. You'll be like, one time, I remember. So Abraham, this isn't a worker at Lowe's. It's not asking for the manager at Lowe's. He's standing before the judge of all the earth. He's standing before God, king of kings, lord of lords, the creator of everything, the one who he knows is powerful, right? And he is asking for more. So he haggles God down to 10. Verse 32, then he said, Abraham said, may the Lord not be angry. Like, you know this place, right? He's like, maybe I'm asking too much, but may the Lord not be angry. Let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? And the Lord answers and he says, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy the city. Abraham is so bold. God, if there are only 10 righteous people in these towns, will you look to their righteousness to cover the sin of the rest? Will you look so highly on righteousness that it can cover the sin of the other people? And God says, yes. <coughs> this is incredible because Abraham never mentions his nephew Lot. Did you notice that? Lot is never mentioned. And Abraham is asking God to pardon a city that has harmed him and his family, that is known for being sinful and harmful to visitors or people passing through. It's an inhospitable place. And Abraham is asking God on their behalf for forgiveness. So Abraham barters God down to 10. And then what happens next? The next verse says, When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left, and Abraham returned home. And God destroys the city. What happened? Why did Abraham stop at 10? Why didn't he go all the way down to one? He knew his nephew lived there, right? This is conjecture, it's not in the text. But from the story, I can't help but put myself in that situation and think, Abraham is asking God if there are 10 righteous people, God. And then maybe he realizes who he is as Abraham. We saw last week that over and over and over again, God clearly speaks to Abraham and God continues to do things that are outside of the will of God. He continues to lack trust in God to actually do what God's asking the way God is asking him to do it, right? Abraham recognizes his own unrighteousness in that moment. And I can't help but wonder if he recognizes that if even he cannot be righteous, there are probably not any righteous people in that city. There was no righteous person found in Sodom. In the grace of God, he gets Lot Lot's daughters and Lot's wife, and he takes them out. Like, literally, the messengers, like, pull them out of the city. 
before the city's destroyed. But the fact is that God is just in this decision. Because Romans 3.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. Romans 3.23 tells us all have fallen short of the glory of God. That there is no righteous person on their own. We know this from the garden. We know that when sin entered, that no one could be found righteous on their own merit. Not in the time of Abraham, in the time of Sodom, and not today. I don't know if you've ever tried to follow God apart from God, but it doesn't work. We can't follow the ways of God without help from God. And all have fallen short of the glory of God. And Romans 3.23 tells us, 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. So this is just because the wages of sin is death. But that's not the end of the story. Because yes, God is just and must uphold justice. And at the same time, God is love. In our story, the bartering that Abraham does, this question of can one person's righteousness cover another person's sin, penalty, that's a new concept for humanity. But from the line of Abraham, just as God said it would happen, just as God said it would happen, from the line of Abraham, God rescues the world. He makes a way where there is no way. Because God himself comes to the earth as a human. We're going to celebrate that coming soon at Christmas. We should celebrate all the time. But at Christmas, we're going to celebrate when God came in human form. And that is the magic of Christmas. <laughs> like God, this God we have been reading about, coming in a human body embodied, right? God coming embodied. <coughs> and then God himself as Jesus, right? God takes on the penalty for our sin. And it works. It is just. It is not a shortcut because Jesus is able to live a righteous life. Jesus is able to be that one righteous person that covers the sin of the many. And then justice and the justice of God and the love of God meet on the cross as Jesus bears the weight of the collective sin of humanity and makes a way for us to be seen as righteous. The judgment of God as judge is always right. If you're going to drive recklessly, it's reckless driving. God is just, and that is good news. Because that means that God is consistent. God is faithful to truth. 
God is honorable. God is not swayed by momentary emotion. God is firm. God is steadfast, trustworthy. The justice of God is good. It is good for the people in Sodom that are victims. It is good for those who are experiencing injustice. And Jesus dies paying the penalty for sin so that the sin of humanity as a whole is covered, is spared. People are spared. We can be spared. But we must be in Christ to be found righteous and to be spared. We must be in Christ because we can't do it alone. And this is good news because the gift of God is eternal life. So the wages of sin is death. But, that verse continues, but the gift of God, and it's a gift because you can't earn it. We don't deserve it, right? We sing that song. It's a gift we receive. So when we received the gift that God has for us, we are able to be found righteous and live new life. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Romans 3.22, the righteousness is given through faith in Jesus to all who believe. This gift of righteousness. What does this mean for me and you? This means that if we are in Christ, we are found forgiven, righteous before God. When we stand before God as judge, he sees Jesus' righteousness. We put on the righteousness of Jesus, and that's how God sees us. And that is good news. That is good news for us. And there's even more that comes with that. Not only are we found righteous, but we're given a new identity right? An identity that's there all along, but one we can actually fully participate in. And that is to be an image bearer of God on the earth. And part of that image of God is being a priest. 1 Peter 2.9 says, but you, those who are found in Christ, are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And just as Abraham was a priest, he was the one who went before God, he was the one who made sacrifices on behalf of the people to be found worthy before God. He's the one who talked to God and told the people what he said. He took care of the people. We see that Jesus comes to be the ultimate priest for everyone, all humanity. And then Jesus gives us the identity as a priest. And what does a priest do? A priest talks to God on behalf of the people. A priest talks to the people on behalf of God. And a priest cares about justice. Helps those who are found in need. This is why we care about justice. So if the band can come back up, we're going to just respond tonight. If you guys want to stand. All of us who are found in Christ have this privilege to be like Abraham, to be like Jesus, to go to the people, to bring the cares of the people around us, whether we like them or not, to bring the cares of the people around us to God.
And we call that prayer. Prayer is just a fancy word for talking with God, like Abraham talked with God. So as we're found in Christ, we can go to God on behalf of people. We can go to people on behalf of God and share this good, good news that God is just and God is love and God is for you and God has given you a great future in him. So tonight, what is our response? What is the Lord speaking to you in this moment? Maybe it's about how he has offered you his righteousness. He has said it's here, it's a gift for you. You can't do this on your own. On your own, you're left to the penalty of sin. But if you step in Christ, if you follow Christ, accept this gift of forgiveness, you are covered now by God's righteousness and you are able to be found blameless. In the court of God, God as judge will find you justly innocent not because of anything you have done or can do it's a gift from jesus a gift of salvation so i invite you if you have not received the gift of salvation from jesus would you accept the gift tonight and say jesus i accept what you've done for me on the cross thank you for making a way for me to be found righteous and forgiven and live a new life in you. Maybe God is speaking to you about being a priest, about being like Abraham and Jesus. I'm going to read a few scriptures about being a priest. What it means to be just. This is what it says about God. He is the rock. His works are perfect. All his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong. Upright and just is he. The Lord is righteous. He loves justice. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne, O God. And steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. That's who God is. And as we step into Christ, God allows us to walk like he walks. We can't do it on our own. But we can do this. Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? And this is what it says. To act justly to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So what does that look like for you? Does it look like praying for people, taking people's cares to God? Does it look like speaking the truth in love, speaking the truths of God to friends? Does it look like caring about injustice? Caring about the orphans and the widows and the refugees and those who need protection and provision. That was the job of the priest. That's where people came because they knew they cared. Do people know that you care? 
Jesus says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Do you love your neighbors as yourself? So Jesus, we just ask you, would you help us to see this great gift you have given? Would you help us to respond with obedience, with joy, for the gift of salvation? And God, would you help us to know that you are for us and that on the cross, your justice and your love meet in a beautiful way. So may we come to you, God, the God who is just and the God who is love. And we just say, have your way, O God. In the name of Jesus.